Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Mr. Fundamentals podcast with me, your host, Josh Wilson, a.k.a. Mr. Fundamentals. We'll be talking about the second round of the NBA playoffs today. Uh, The first game of the second round happened on Sunday, the Celtics beating the Washington Wizards in game one, 123 to 111. Uh, So I'll start in the Eastern Conference with that matchup and go on from there. Uh, as I mentioned, the Celtics take Game 1 in Boston. The Wizards jumped out to an early start, uh, but then sputtered as the game went along, and Boston really started to put things together. They were knocking down their shots. Uh, they rebounded well with the Washington Wizards. And, uh, you know, a, a big key for this series going forward will be the health of Markeith Morris. Uh, he rolled his ankle uh, during the game. Uh, during game one, and uh, he he plays just such a crucial role for Washington. Uh, he's he's one of their best players, an integral part of their starting lineup and of many of their lineups, and him paired with Gortat really makes life difficult for the Celtics, who like to play uh, small ball, but uh, the way that Gortat and Morris control the glass uh, it should be a big advantage for Washington this series. But obviously, if Morris isn't healthy and able to play, uh, that's going to be a, a real shot at Washington, who may uh, then likely have to go small as they're already uh, short in terms of depth in the front court without Jan Mahinmi really available. And, uh, you know, Jason Smith has also been dinged up this postseason. So uh, it, it won't be good if Washington has to play small with Boston because that's exactly what Boston wants. Uh, they have much better depth in terms of uh, just their uh, backcourt players and uh, Washington already doesn't have much depth to begin with, so a a long-term injury for Morris or something that really lingers with him throughout this round uh, could be really detrimental for Washington. Uh, But I think one of the matchups you really have to watch in this series is going to be, obviously, you know, the Celtics are always looking to try to hide Isaiah Thomas defensively, and he'll be guarding uh, Otto Porter most likely throughout most of the series, and, uh, you know, Porter really isn't much of a, a scorer. He's a guy who has been a, done a great job as being a, a secondary guy for Washington offensively, someone who can just feed off of Beal and Wall. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't expect Porter to really step up too much offensively. Again, he's not really a guy who can create too much for himself. Uh, not someone who plays with his back to the basket, really. So I don't expect them, uh, the Wizards, to really look to exploit Isaiah in terms of how he's defending Otto Porter. I, I think it would be best for Washington to to just c- try to create a lot of switches uh, with Boston defensively. You know, I think uh, you know if you have Morris healthy, or even if you have uh, Bogdanovich and Beal out there, if you take Wall at the top of the key and uh, do a, a double high screen with Porter and Gortat so that you get some kind of mismatches uh, where they can leave Boston's defense scattering. Obviously, you're going to have whoever it is on wall at the time, whether it's Bradley, uh, Rogier, Marcus Smart. Their main goal is going to be to try to stay with him, but if you can create that confusion and get mismatches elsewhere and try to get Isaiah Thomas switched onto the ball, uh, and then, you know, that would really free up shooting as the defense is going to collapse more, leaving the guys like Beal, uh, like Bogdanovich, out on the wing open for threes. 
And so I, I think that's the way that uh, Washington really should attack this, uh, looking to use Porter off the ball and, and use him screening and, uh, and uh, just moving away from the ball to keep Isaiah Thomas on his toes and really keep Boston uh, trying to rotate a bunch because then also if you have Isaiah Thomas running around everywhere, it will help mitigate uh, how great he is offensively. And obviously that'll be a big key for Washington, their ability to slow Isaiah Thomas down and, and make the other guys on Boston score. Uh, in game one, they got really great contributions from Al Horford, played an excellent game, a guy who can really do everything just about pretty well. And uh, he was big time for them offensively. His ability to stretch the floor and play out of that pick and roll uh, has been really useful for Boston. And uh, Jay Crowder had his best playoff game of his career so far, scoring 24 points. Uh, he was just connecting on everything from downtown. And uh, Boston's ability to, to knock down threes is really going to be crucial in this series. That's a, a great advantage that they hold over Washington. Uh, and, and, you know, Washington struggles defensively, and especially if Markeith Morris is out, they're going to struggle even more as uh, he's one of their better defenders. Uh, another thing, really, that, that this series is going to come down to uh, besides, you know, th- those matchups and the, the defensive rebounding is the bench, the depth. Uh, I've mentioned it's it's a problem for Washington. Uh, once you get out of their starting lineup, you have Kelly Oubre, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jason Smith, who's been relied on some, and Brandon Jennings. Uh, you know, Oubre, very young guy. He's pretty inconsistent for the most part. It's going to be key uh, for Washington to see how well he plays in this series. Uh, he's able to defend multiple positions, and he can score a little bit and, and, and knock down open shots. Um, but, you know, his ability to step in, especially if Morris is down, if they have to play Otto Porter more at the power forward position, that would likely mean a big boost in minutes for Ubre and, and Bogdanovich would also see more time, perhaps even more Brandon Jennings. Uh, and, and then you look at, you know, a lot of the Celtics role players really stepped up in game one after the, that starting unit fell uh, down quickly at the beginning of the game. Kelly Olynyk came in and played some huge minutes for them. Uh, his play is always crucial for Boston, just without a ton of front court depth. Uh, you know, Amir Johnson uh, might be a guy who maybe sees a little bit more time, but uh, if Olynyk plays the way he did, uh, he'll probably see more time this series. And then you're relying on, uh, you know, guys like Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, guys who are going to be taking time, uh, uh, splitting time, defending Wall and Beal, trying to make sure they shut those guys down defensively. And, and certainly with Smart, you know, it's all about if, if he can knock down his open shots. Uh, you know, if he, he makes a lot of big plays and he makes a lot of uh, boneheaded plays. And, and so how Smart plays will really – be crucial for Boston and also uh, Jalen Brown after not really playing much at all during the uh, Chicago series he got off the bench did a nice job defensively coming in uh, you know a guy who is definitely known more for his defense and he played some really solid defense uh, expect to see more of him this series uh, his ability to come on and and just his length and strength and he's got pretty good quickness for his size uh, his ability to switch on to just about every player will be crucial for Boston. Uh, ultimately, you know, again, the, the series really hinges uh, on the health of Markeith Morris. 
if, if he isn't able to play or if he's really struggling with that injury, uh, things are going to be very difficult for Washington. They already will be, but it's going to be hard for them to win if Morris isn't, uh, isn't at, you know, 85, 90% uh, or better. But I'm still taking Washington, uh, and you know I I hope just in, for the series' sake that uh, Morris will be healthy, everyone will be healthy, and we'll get to see these two teams who have developed a, a nice little rivalry during the season. Uh, you know, I, I think Washington has it in seven games. Uh, it's going to be tough to they're playing behind the eight ball already, being down one to nothing, and obviously going into the Garden trying to win a game seven. Uh, is a very difficult task, but I just like, uh, despite all their depth problems, the guys at the top for Washington really just make a huge difference. Uh, and I think, you know, the size of Gortat and, and Morris will really help uh, dominate the boards for Washington. And then just the ability of Wall and Beal to, to score the ball, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough, obviously. Boston has a lot of great wing defenders that they can throw at these guys. Uh, but I think ultimately we'll, uh, Wall and Beal will be too much for Boston to stop. And on to the 2-3 matchup in the Eastern Conference. The Cleveland Cavaliers defending champions against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Cleveland came off of a quick series against Indiana. Uh, the Raptors managed to get by the Milwaukee Bucks in six games after uh, struggling at the beginning of this series. And and this, I think, will be a a very interesting series to watch just uh, regardless of of how many games it goes because we're going to see some fun matchups. The Raptors acquired P.J. Tucker specifically for this kind of matchup. They can throw him on LeBron, and P.J. Tucker is a, a very good agitator, guy who's great at uh, getting under people's skin, you know, the Patrick Beverly type, and uh, having him on LeBron will be huge for the Raptors. It opens up, uh, you know, just their ability defensively to, to move other guys elsewhere. You know, I talked about last series how it was kind of tough for them playing Corey Joseph because of the, the length of the Milwaukee Bucks lineup, but Joseph and uh, Norman Powell, I think, will mostly be splitting time on Kyrie Irving. I think, you know, keeping Lowry off of Irving too much, uh, that way, you know, Lowry is is free to uh, defend other other players and, and have the energy to go at it offensively because they're really going to need Lowry and DeRozan to step up offensively. The Raptors have had uh, struggles throughout their history in the playoffs. Uh, getting consistent play from those guys, and uh, their play will definitely be crucial this round. Uh, One thing, you know, you look for Toronto to really exploit Cleveland on the boards. Other than Tristan Thompson, they don't really have too many big guys. We might see Cleveland try to play uh, super small and just space things out defensively, maybe some time with LeBron at the center whenever Tristan Thompson has to come out. Um... It might be it might work better for Cleveland to play small, but I think ultimately you have to look at the way the Raptors uh, control this game defensively and on the glass. I mean, Kevin Love is a terrific rebounder, as is uh, Tristan Thompson, but they're going to be relying on those guys heavily to play a lot of minutes. And uh, you know when Channing Frye is out there, it opens things up on the glass for the other team 
and uh, you know this will be a big series for Jonas Valanciunas, who at times uh, can look unplayable in certain matchups, uh, but he really needs to go out there and have a big series. Serge Ibaka will play a big role this series uh, on both ends of the floor. His ability to to space things and free up the lane uh, for the guards for Lowry and DeRozan will be huge. And then you know I think uh, Patrick Patterson since the acquisition of of uh, Ibaka ha- has suffered a bit in terms of playing time. I, I expect him to play a big role. Uh, I'm a big Patrick Patterson fan. Uh, he brings a little bit of everything to the table. He's a really strong defender, guy who spaces the floor. He's a very similar player uh, to Ibaka, uh, just uh, maybe not quite as good, but a guy who could play really tough and again you know I think the Raptors they're going to be looking at trying to wear down Cleveland Uh, this is a team that you know has relied so much on the play throughout the season of LeBron James, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and if you can try to wear down Cleveland and really uh, grind out victories uh, against them uh, I think that'll be the best way for Toronto to win because you're not going to beat Cleveland running up and down the court. We've seen the Raptors uh, struggle to do that, especially the way they struggled to score the rock in the postseason. Uh, then when you look at the, the supporting cast, you know, I talked about Patterson. I touched briefly on Norman Powell, who really emerged in the last series as a big weapon uh, for Toronto. I think he's going to play a key role here. If he's not guarding you know, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, or, or one of their other wings, you know, he's a guy who they can certainly stick on Darren Williams whenever he comes off the bench as, as the uh, big scorer for that secondary unit. And, uh, you know, I, I think just the way that Powell plays, I love his defense. He's a bit small for a two guard, but he's a guy who can guard point guards, shooting guards, maybe even uh, some small forwards, uh, you know, when, when LeBron is playing the four. And certainly their supporting cast will be crucial for them but also for Cleveland you know Darren Williams has played some really solid basketball since joining the team uh, Kyle Corver's had his ups and his downs uh, his, his ability to to knock down the shots when he gets them will be huge for Cleveland uh, you know, ultimately I, st- I still think Cleveland is too much for uh, any of these teams in the Eastern Conference you know I trust LeBron James to just turn it on uh, you can talk about X factors for both teams in this series, but I think ultimately, still at this level, uh, it's about how well LeBron is going to play, uh, and, and you know he can certainly carry Cleveland. I think by himself past this Toronto team, though they're a very good team. Uh, just well, the question will be how much can Toronto slow down LeBron James, and uh, you know I think it'll be a good series. It'll be competitive, but I've got the Cavs winning in six. Uh, I think ultimately they're just too much. I expect to see uh, some of their role players definitely step up, and uh, Toronto's going to try to get under Cleveland's skin, most likely. They're going to throw guys like Ibaka and Tucker, guys who uh, aren't afraid to to get into a scuffle, and, and they're going to try to muddy things up in this series, but ultimately Cleveland will be too much for them and taking the Cavs in six. On to the Western Conference. Of course, the Golden State Warriors, the one seed in the West, playing against the number five seed, Utah Jazz. The Jazz, fresh off of a Game 7 victory in Los Angeles against the Clippers. Uh, 
I think this series is really the most uh, black and white it's going to get. You look at Golden State, and uh, just compared to the rest of the league, they have just far superior talent uh, up and down their roster. The ability that they have to play uh, so many rosters with, with, you know, three guys at, on the court at any given minute who can really make a difference on both ends of the floor. Uh, it's just a huge advantage for Golden State. And though, uh, you know, I've been high on Utah all year, I, I've, they did a great job. Uh, you know, they played really well and, and showed a lot of poise in their first-round matchup against the Clippers. Uh, you know, I just think that ultimately it's not the greatest matchup for Utah. I mean, no team is the greatest matchup for Golden State, but uh, I do like the Jazz's ability, uh, just their length, and you really saw their length come into play in the first round against the Clippers whenever they're able to have a guy like Joe Ingles out there guarding Chris Paul. Uh, you know, you have Rodney Hood, uh, George Hill, Gordon Hayward out there, you know, all these long wing players, guys that they can throw at the Warriors defensively because the Warriors' biggest advantage is typically their length. And whenever you have, you know, they go small and you look at having a lineup where Draymond Green is at center and Kevin Durant is at the power forward, uh, the Jazz certainly have the bigs to make things difficult. But I do think at some point it's going to come down to whether uh, Quinn Snyder wants to go small and match. And, you know, typically you talk about not wanting to play into the other team's game plan. Uh, but I think just when you see the way that the Warriors have exploited the Jazz during the season, uh, whenever, you know, they still have Gobert out there, uh, their ability to space the floor, and as great of a defensive player as Gobert is, you know, as much of an advantage they have with a guy like him, a guy like uh, Derek Favors, you know, I think uh, ultimately there's going to be a point where Utah has to decide if, uh, you know, they're going to try to beat Golden State at their own game because it's just going to be nearly impossible for them to beat Golden State the way things are. And I think if you look at them going with a small lineup like uh, George Hill, Rodney Hood, uh, Gordon Hayward, Joe Ingles, and Joe Johnson to match that, you know, super mega death lineup that the Warriors have. Uh, I think that could be an interesting way to, to counteract things because the Warriors are going to make things very difficult for for uh, the Jazz whenever the Jazz are on defense, uh, just in terms of trying to chase down all the shooters. Uh, but, you know, having Gobert out there obviously deters teams from from trying to get into the paint and score, but especially if Gobert, you know, who has struggled with injury in the first round, don't know how healthy he's going to be, how much that injury will linger. Uh, same with Derek Favors as well. Uh, so the Jazz could ultimately end up relying a lot on Boris Diaw to give them big minutes. And again, you know, he's a guy who helps them space the floor, really intelligent player, guy who makes great plays, and if you stick him on... Uh, Draymond Green, that matchup where they're both the centers, you know, I think the Jazz could still fit, fare pretty well uh, just with the emergence of Ingles and the strong play of Johnson. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of this series will will hinge on just how on the Golden State Warriors are because uh, whenever they're playing well, it's hard for any team to beat them. 
and uh, the Jazz, obviously, you know, they do a great job of generating open shots. They have so many guys who can create, whether it's uh, Hood or Hayward or Johnson, Ingles, Hill, you know, they have all these guys that they can run out there and all these different lineups that, that provides nice flexibility for them. Uh, but I think uh, at some point in this series, you know, it's really going to come down to what Quinn Snyder is willing to try because uh, at some point Utah's back is going to be against the wall. It may be from the very beginning of this series, and they're going to need to do something creative if they if they want to put a dent in the Warriors' play. Uh, so, you know, I, I speak so glowingly about the Warriors, and I typically do about the Jazz. It's just it's such a tough uh, matchup for them, you know, I think ultimately I would like to see the Jazz try to go small, even though you don't want to always, uh, you usually don't want to play into the hand of the other team and play into their strength. But the Jazz actually have have a pretty solid five-man unit, the one that I said, uh, Hill, Hood, Hayward, Johnson, and Ingles. Uh, that, 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 that less than one minute against the Clips uh, in a late-game situation, so... I don't know that Snyder is going to want to go that since it's a lineup that they haven't really used, um, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think if the the Jazz can steal one game from the Warriors this series, uh, it'll be you know certainly a a success for them. Uh, you know, while they did beat a, a good Clippers team, they struggled to get by them in the first round, uh, especially with an injury to Blake Griffin. And, of course, Utah had uh, injuries of their own. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I just don't think this Jazz team is there yet where they're going to be uh, serious contenders. And uh, despite, you know, Golden State's own struggles with health, I, I think just the way that they're playing now, we saw how great they were against Portland in the first round. I'm taking the Warriors in four to defeat the Jazz. And... The other matchup in the Western Conference, the San Antonio Spurs against the Houston Rockets. Uh, I think a lot of for a lot of people, this is the most exciting matchup here in the second round. Uh, you look, you have a team in San Antonio who plays, you know, this old school, uh, traditional style of basketball, and then the Rockets, who are designed around James Harden and who have done a great job of thriving with floor spacing and uh, showing that great offense can improve your defense. And uh, this is really going to be an interesting series. I think it's probably going to be the most competitive of all. And uh, there's going to be a a lot of really great basketball played in this series. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. For San Antonio, when you look at the Rockets, uh, one thing that they don't have a tremendous amount of is size. They haven't really used uh, much of their big man depth in this postseason. They have uh, Capella and Nene. They rely on Ryan Anderson, who's a, a floor spacer, but a, not a, someone who can uh, is a great defender, or, and uh, he's a pretty average rebounder for his size. Uh, so ultimately, I think you want to see San Antonio try to establish something inside with LaMarcus Aldridge. Aldridge has has not really been the same player this season as he has been in the past. He's had uh, one of the worst years of his career, and uh, his struggles uh, won't be good for San Antonio this series, but 
if you can get Aldridge down there in the post, you can create mismatches and, and work from the outside in with the, the shooters that San Antonio has that you can put around. I think it's going to be a, a big advantage for San Antonio to be able to, to throw two big men out there, whether it's uh, Pau Gasol, uh, Deadman, or Aldridge. And, uh, you know, I expect them to really look to exploit that size matchup. You've got a young player in, in Clint Capella, and someone who really struggles defensively, and Ryan Anderson, uh, certainly look for them. Uh, Nene Hilario is really going to be key for the Rockets. He's played some really crucial minutes all year for them, and he's done a great job. So how effective he'll be will be big. One of the really, you know, the key thing for the Rockets, though, is the health of James Harden after he suffered that. Uh, ankle injury towards the end of the regular season he just has not been the same player and uh, you know he he looked to be doing pretty well uh, against the Thunder and the Rockets made quick work of the Thunder and and I think whenever you look at the way that he played last series he still did a great job but you know I still think there's there's kind of a question as to whether or not he's really healthy because it feels kind of similar to when Steph Curry went down and you saw this guy who could still make you know all these amazing plays, but he just wasn't the same him. Now, I don't think it's that much of a dip for Harden as it was for Curry last postseason, uh, but just when you when you look at the, the Rockets' best uh, path to success, it's going to be through the great play of, of MVP candidate and James Harden. And, uh, you know, obviously their supporting cast plays a big role. Uh, the Rockets are going to generate plenty of open shots. And, again, you know, it's a make-or-miss league. It's going to come down to whether they're making them or not. Uh, you have Eric Gordon, Lou Williams, and Ryan Anderson, guys who help spread the floor. And, and their ability to knock down their shots will be huge. It's going to be interesting to see how San Antonio really plays the Rockets defensively. If you expect they'll put Kawhi Leonard on Harden for the most part. Um, maybe he'll split time with Danny Green as well. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how any team defends the Rockets, but especially the Spurs because I, I think you might look at Pop making an adjustment at some point or possibly starting out the series where he's just going to say, let's make James Harden just beat us in every way and stay home on shooters I think especially if Harden isn't at 100% that might be the best way uh, to try to limit the Rockets offensively uh, as they have one of the best offenses in the league and uh, for the Spurs obviously they have my MVP in Kawhi Leonard Uh, they do such a great job uh, of scoring and defending despite their uh, lack of personnel necessarily on both sides. Uh, one thing I think that will be really interesting to watch will be uh, how Patrick Beverly is able to to slow down Patty Mills and Tony Parker. Mills really struggled in the first round of the postseason, uh, but Tony Parker ha- has had a bit of a resurgence. He looks uh, almost back to his old self, and his ability to, to step up for the Spurs in the postseason will be big, especially in this round. Uh, but Beverly could really take away the the scoring that some of their guards can offer. And, you know, it, it could end up being a, a matchup just between Harden and Leonard offensively uh, if, other team, if both teams can take away the other options on defense. Uh, this is a, the toughest matchup, I think, to pick. 
ultimately, I'm going with the Spurs in seven. Uh, I just think that their ability defensively to to slow down Harden and and I think that you know it would be smart of them and and that Pop will. Uh, tell the defenders to really uh, stay home on shooters and they're just going to try to wear down James Harden and the Rockets can certainly do the same thing with Kawhi Leonard uh, but when you look at the holes that the Rockets have defensively with some of their other guys out there uh, I think San Antonio will just be able to do a better job at exploiting and and executing uh, on those things and so I'm taking the Spurs in seven over the Rockets Uh, but again you know I think it's going to be a really awesome series ton of fun to watch and definitely uh you know the most enticing of the four series as we enter the second round of play and uh just you know quickly uh, i'm going to touch on the los angeles clippers uh they are one of the most intriguing teams entering the offseason i'll certainly talk about them more going forward uh but when you look at what they're going to do in the future there's been a lot of speculation there are reports that you know they want to bring Chris Paul and Blake Griffin back. Uh, a lot of people for a long time have been suggesting they break it up, and uh, certainly an, another first-round exit is not what the Clippers wanted. You know, they had their worst year uh, since Doc Rivers took over, and uh, the injuries to Blake Griffin throughout the season, uh, the early injuries to Chris Paul really. Uh, put them in a bad position entering the playoffs, and so they had to face a really good uh, Utah Jazz team. Uh, you know, it's just it's so hard to contend in the Western Conference. A lot of people want to make it, you know, out to be that the Clippers just don't have the pieces, and they certainly don't have all the right pieces together. But uh, you know, the fact is is that with Utah emerging now, they're just one of uh, five teams with really strong cores. Uh, I still think that when the Clippers are firing on all cylinders, uh, they're the second best team in the Western Conference, but uh, they certainly really struggled this year. They were supposed to have really strong uh, bench depth, but once Blake Griffin went down, that really hurt. Uh, They're going to need to do a lot to address uh, their bench if they do run it back and the, the question of running it back is really interesting because, uh, you know, everybody talks about, you know, everyone obviously wants to win a championship, but it's even harder than we all think it is. And when you have a team that has averaged almost 55 wins over the past five seasons uh, that has gone from being the laughing stock of the NBA uh, to one of the best teams in the NBA over there, past six years with Chris Paul in the fold. Uh, the Clippers, it's they just have too much to walk away from, potentially. You know, when you look at the ability to have one of the best point guards ever and Chris Paul running your team, to have uh, Blake Griffin, who's one of the most talented big men in the league, even though he may not be the same player that he was a few years ago, still really productive. We saw at different points during the season how he was able to carry the Clippers, especially when Chris Paul was out injured and he was back. Uh, And of course, you know, you have a lot of money tied up in those two and in DeAndre Jordan. It's hard to put more of a team around. Uh, I don't expect J.J. Redick to be back 
for the Clippers. Uh, I think he'll end up going elsewhere, and it all comes back to really the biggest criticism, I think, of the Clippers so far has been uh, Doc Rivers and his struggles as a GM, his his failures as a GM, you know. They, they did a, a nice job developing some players. Austin Rivers has become, you know, a really solid player for them, able to knock down threes, and uh, a really strong defender. Uh, Luke Mbamute, uh, the way that he has resurrected his career there, uh, they do a great job of making sure that they can still get things going offensively, even though he really struggles on the offensive end, but they make him an effective cutter and slasher. And then his ability to defend, he's been the only guy that they've really had who can defend wing players. Uh, they oftentimes end up with Chris Paul having to guard guys who are you know six, seven, eight inches taller than him. And that's a, certainly a tall order for Chris Paul, but it's going to be very hard for the Clippers to just say, oh, we're going to start things over and try to work up. I, I expect that Chris Paul will most likely be back. Uh, obviously, both for him and Blake Griffin, there's a huge financial incentive. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I, I, I glow about Chris Paul. He's my favorite guy to watch in the league. And, and you know, people around the league say it about him and, I think it's pretty clear by the way he plays that, uh, you know, I don't know that there's anyone in the league who hates losing more than he does. And certainly there are better opportunities out there than Los Angeles. Um, And it's certainly possible that he could end up elsewhere. Him going to San Antonio would be interesting. Uh, There's been talk of some other teams that he could end up with. We'll talk more about that in the offseason. Uh, But ultimately, I just think it's going to be hard to go elsewhere and find a better product. Uh, Obviously, you know, it could come down to whether or not he's willing to take a pay cut. It's going to be a big pay cut technically anyway if he signs elsewhere and he'll be signed for one less year. But, uh, you know, ultimately, he's going to have some really good options out there and, uh, you know, Despite how everyone rips on the Clippers and all of the struggles they've had, the bad luck, the injuries, the poorly constructed roster, uh, it's really hard to walk away from a team that has had as much success as they have, even though they haven't had a ton of postseason success. Uh, What the Clippers have done over the past five years, going from uh, just one of the worst teams in the league to uh, perennial contenders and one of the best teams out West, you know, they've run into a lot of really strong teams, unfortunately. And, you know, if you put them in the Eastern Conference over the fa- past five years, uh, I'm sure the story is much different. But they've run into some historic Golden State teams and San Antonio teams. And, uh, you know, they have blown their chances, certainly. They were one game away from beating Houston up 3-1 to one two years ago in the Western Conference semis, and things fell apart. And ultimately, if they're going to uh, get any better, it's going to be on that bench because uh, Chris Paul is, is certainly entering the decline. It, it would you would presume, even though he's 
still playing at at an unbelievable level. And uh, Blake Griffin, just the health concerns going forward, the best option for them may in fact be to look to uh, trade Blake Griffin and, and try to build with other pieces. Obviously, the Blake for Carmelo deal is going to be heavily talked about this offseason. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Again, you know, I don't know that uh, necessarily Melo would be the best fit, but his playing style, his ability to space the floor certainly helps uh, the Clippers just traditionally in terms of having that spacing. But Blake Griffin has also done a really great job at expanding his game offensively and his ability to knock down shots from outside. Uh, certainly have made a difference. Uh, I think ultimately you're going to need to look at getting a really strong wing player to pair alongside uh, Chris Paul because uh, you know we can talk about how much point guards, uh, how great point guards are in this league, how much they matter. Uh, but I think ultimately you need that big wing player that you can rely on, and the Clippers just have not had that. And that will definitely be. It has been at the top. Uh, of their wish list over the past few seasons, and that's going to be crucial for them going forward. Uh, So that's all I have to say for now about the second round of the playoffs, Uh, as well as the the Clippers entering the offseason. I'll certainly uh, continue playoff coverage as the playoffs proceed, and we'll address the Clippers, other teams that have been eliminated, and all the teams that are still left Uh, this offseason on the podcast Uh, but I want to thank you for listening today it's a a shorter podcast I apologize short on time recently Um, but thank you all for listening Uh, you can read my stuff at 12up.com written some some really interesting things the past few weeks uh, basketball related uh, some baseball stuff as well have more baseball coverage uh, as the NBA playoffs continue Uh, We'll squeeze in more baseball stuff. And, of course, you can catch the Mr. Fundamentals podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and reach me there. If you have anything you want me to talk about, any questions, anything at all, at Mr. Fundamental underscore J on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening, and have a great week. (laughs) 